0: Chapter Eleven of Mary, a Fiction by Mary Wollstonecraft. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. When I mentioned the three ladies, I said they were fashionable women, and it was all the praise, as a faithful historian, I could bestow on them, the only thing in which they were consistent. I forgot to mention that they were all of one family a mother, her daughter, and niece. The daughter was sent by her physician to avoid a northerly winter. The mother, her niece, and nephew accompanied her. They were people of rank, but unfortunately, though of an ancient family, the title had descended to a very remote branch, a branch they took care to be intimate with, and servilely copied the Countess's heirs. Their minds were shackled with a set of notions concerning propriety, the fitness of things for the world's eye trammels which always hamper weak people. What will the world say, was the first thing that was thought of when they intended doing anything they had not done before. Or, what would the countess do on such an occasion? And when this question was answered, the right or wrong was discovered without the trouble of their having any idea of the matter in their own heads. This same countess was a fine planet, and the satellites observed a most harmonic dance around her. After this account, it is scarcely necessary to add that their minds had received very little cultivation. They were taught French, Italian, and Spanish. English was their vulgar tongue. And what did they learn? Hamlet will tell you, words, words. But let me not forget that they squalled Italian songs in the true gusto." without having any seeds sown in their understanding or the affections of the heart set to work they were brought out of their nursery or the place they were secluded in to prevent their faces being common like blazing stars to captivate lords they were pretty and hurrying from one party of pleasure to another occasioned the disorder which required change of air the mother if we except her being near twenty years older was just the same creature, and these additional years only served to make her more tenaciously adhere to her habits of folly, and decide with stupid gravity some trivial points of ceremony as a matter of the last importance, of which she was a competent judge, from having lived in the fashionable world so long, that world to which the ignorant look up as we do to the sun." it appears to me that every creature has some notion or rather relish of the sublime riches and the consequent state are the sublime of weak minds these images fill nay are too big for their narrow souls one afternoon which they had engaged to spend together Anne was so ill that mary was obliged to send an apology for not attending the tea-table the apology brought them on the carpet and the mother with a look of solemn importance turned to the sick man whose name was henry and said though people of the first fashion are frequently at places of this kind intimate with they know not who yet i do not choose that my daughter whose family is so respectable should be intimate with any one she would blush to know elsewhere it is only on that account for i never suffer her to be with any one but in my company added she sitting more erect and a smile of self-complacency dressed her countenance i have inquired concerning these strangers and find that the one who has the most dignity in her manners is really a woman of fortune lord mamma how ill she dresses mamma went on she is a romantic creature you must not copy her miss yet she is an heiress of the large fortune in blankshire of which you may remember to have heard the countess speak the night you had on the dancing-dress that was so much admired but she is married she then told them the whole story as she heard it from her maid who picked it out of mary's servant she is a foolish creature and this friend that she pays as much attention to as if she was a lady of quality is a beggar well how strange cried the girls she is, however, a charming creature, said her nephew. Henry sighed and strode across the room once or twice, then took up his violin and played the air which first struck Mary. He had often heard her praise it. The music was uncommonly melodious and came stealing on the senses like the sweet south. The well known sounds reached Mary as she sat by her friend. She listened without knowing that she did. And shed tears almost without being conscious of it. Anne soon fell asleep, as she had taken an opiate. Mary, then brooding over her fears, began to imagine she had deceived herself. Anne was still very ill. Hope had beguiled many heavy hours, yet she was displeased with herself for admitting this welcome guest. And she worked up her mind to such a degree of anxiety that she determined, once more, to seek medical aid. No sooner did she determine than she ran down with a discomposed look to inquire of the ladies who she should send for. When she entered the room she could not articulate her fears. It appeared like pronouncing Anne's sentence of death. Her faltering tongue dropped some broken words and she remained silent. The ladies wondered that a person of her sense should be so little mistress of herself, and began to administer some commonplace comfort as that it was our duty to submit to the will of heaven and the like trite consolations which mary did not answer but waving her hand with an air of impatience she exclaimed i cannot live without her i have no other friend if i lose her what a desert will be the world to me no other friend re-echoed they have you not a husband mary shrunk back and was alternately pale and red a delicate sense of propriety prevented her replying, and recalled her bewildered reason. Assuming, in consequence of her recollection, a more composed manner, she made the intended inquiry and left the room. Henry's eyes followed her, while the females very freely animadverted on her strange behavior. End of chapter 11